This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media. You know, my heart is for those who are far from God. And you know that we're better than no one else. The church is the road back to the Father. If they make it this far in those doors, my goodness, you'd be the first to embrace them and hug them and tell them that you love them. It is not your job to make them behave. It's your job to receive them and allow the Spirit of God to open their eyes to the truth of the gospel. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Vines. We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. One truth that will be delivered in love and compassion, connecting every one person to all that God has promised them. You make me want to dance and sing with every single breath I breathe. I will bring this offering. You are my wonder. You bring the wonder. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Vines. Welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. My name's Aaron. And in this episode, we'll hear the rest of a message called Holding. Pastor Jeff is asking you and I the question, what is the most important thing you've ever lost and how long would you have spent trying to find it again? He reminds us, we are the most important things to God both to find and to keep. If you've missed any of this series, you can catch up wherever you listen to your podcasts. Just search for Today with Jeff Finds. Let's join Pastor Jeff as he continues in Luke chapter 15. In the parable of the prodigal son, Jesus tells us that this is a father who would lift up his robe and expose his bare legs and run to meet the son. In fact, John Ortberg, one of my favorite writers, says this, he forgets his dignity. This is God we're talking about. He forgets his robes. He forgets everybody that's watching. And he sees only the starving, aching, exhausted figure of this son that he had given up for dead. And only now his son is coming back home and the father takes off like Michael Jordan on a fast break. I love that. But why? What's the hurry? Why is the father running out to the son? We say, well, that, I mean, you don't have to be a theologian to know that. He missed his son. Yes, he did. But there's something else going on here. When the son would have left the village the first time, when word got around to the community that the younger son said to his father, I want, I want my inheritance. I want to live as though I have no responsibility to you or no one in the community. I don't care about the land and the progression of the name or our people. I want to do my thing my way. The people in the village would have all gathered around the gate to say goodbye to him, and they would have all brought a clay jar. It's called kazaza. It's a ceremony. And they would look at the son, and after the son had passed through the gates, they would say, okay, you've shamed us. You've shamed our community. You've shamed your father. We want you to never forget this. And they would all take their clay pots, and they would smash them on the ground. And they would say, now look at this. You have disintegrated our village and our people. You've disintegrated our name. You say that we are dead to you. You are dead to us. And every time you even think about coming back to this village, when times get tough, and when you want to turn your heart and come home, you remember Kazaza. Our relationship with you is disintegrated like these pots are disintegrated, and you will never be welcomed back home. And then, just in case... 
that the son had the audacity to one day say, I need to go home again. There would be a watchman, and they would see him from a long way off, just like the father. And when they saw him returning home, they would sound the horn, kazaza, and the community would go get their clay pots, and they would go out by the gate and wait for him to be coming down the road. And as soon as they saw him, and as soon as he arrived at the gate, they would smash their clay jars again and say, remember, kazaza. We are disintegrated. You are disintegrated to us. There is no relationship between you and us. Leave this place. And he would not be welcome back. But not in this story. Do you know why the father's running? Man. <laughs> okay, you say, uh, well, he's running because he missed his son. Yeah, but you know why else he's running? He's wanting to get to the son before the community does. He knows if he doesn't get to the son before the community, it's going to be kazaza. And the last thing he wants is another ritual. You say, well, give me a little bit more than that. Okay, notice in the text, but the father said to his servants, quick. Now, what's the hurry? You're embracing? No, he says, quick. I don't want them to see him as a beggar or slave. I want them to see him as he really is my son. So bring the best robe and put it on him. Let them see the dress of a king. Put a ring on his finger. Let them see my sign of authority on his hand. And let them see the sandals on his feet, that he's a free man, not a slave. And then he says, let's get the party started. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. And the part that really gets me in the story is verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, the father saw him, was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. A term of endearment. Listen, do you know? that the Buddhists have a prodigal son story. There is a Buddhist prodigal son story and a Christian prodigal son story. And they're exact right up until the moment the son comes home. Both stories have a son that is frustrated and leaves home in a huff. Both sons go out to live a life of destruction. Both sons come to their senses and want to return home. But the climactic point is how the father receives them. In the Buddhist story, notice how the father responds to the son when he returns. It's like, yeah, I knew you'd be back. There's apathy. Yeah, I knew you'd come to your senses. You'd come to ruin. And now you just think you can waltz back into the community? I don't think so. You're going to have to pay retribution and restitution for all that you've done damage to and all that we've lost because of you. And in the Buddhist story, the errant son is required to work off the penalty for his past misdeeds by spending years and years in servitude to the community. Now notice Rembrandt's painting of the prodigal son and the father. It's one of an irresistible kind of grace. The Christian parable of the prodigal son ends with the repentant son being warmly welcomed home by a loving father who showers him with undeserved forgiveness and undeserved grace. This is not Buddhism, folks. This is Christ. You know, Bollywood is becoming more and more popular in India. Well, it's always been popular in India, but it's growing in popularity, especially among the next generation. And the thing you notice about Bollywood, and I read some articles there. There are English newspapers in New Delhi as well. That they're concerned that everything in Bollywood is becoming so provocative, so suggestive, even borderline pornographic. But no matter how suggestive Bollywood dancing is or how provocative, there's still one thing that is illegal to do in India. You can never touch lips on the screen. You can't kiss. You'll be fined. It's illegal. Why? 
In the Eastern mind, that is the, the, the purest form of intimacy. And yet Jesus, in an Eastern culture, tells a parable of a story where when the father sees the son, in the original language, he just keeps on kissing the son. Keeps on kissing the son. Now, remember what we said? The effort spent looking for something that is lost is directly proportionate to the value of that which is lost. Now, stay with me and let me finish this. And let's, What's the message for us? Because it's powerful, man. It's life-changing stuff here. Go back to Elizabeth Smart. She wrote a book called My Story. She wrote it 11 years after her abduction, 2002, taken from her own bedroom. If you know the story, she was dragged out of her home and chained to a tree like an animal. The details are too despicable, but we will say that she was violated every day, sometimes more than twice a day by her kidnappers. She described her experience to CBS News as a lack of food, a lack of water, a lack of hygiene, and freezing temperatures. She said she would move every minute of every day from boredom to hunger to rape to a living death. And finally, ABC News, in her interview, asked her, what is it that kept her going? And her response was the same every time. She said, the knowledge of knowing that my parents would never give up the search. And there's a website that ABC has done called Missing Children Cases with Happy Endings. And the common denominator in every story with a happy ending is that the parents never gave up. Now, do you remember when we talk about that the greater the knowledge and the greater the understanding of two people, the greater the potential of love. When you have the goods, all the goods on somebody and you still love them, the intimacy's off the charts. But with greater knowledge and greater wisdom and greater intensity of love comes a greater pain at the loss or the fracture of the relationship, right? If you date somebody for a week, yeah, you might be disturbed when you break up, but if you marry somebody for 40 years and you lose them, the pain is unbearable. The more you know, the greater the wisdom, the more intimacy, the greater the pain of separation. Do you realize that when Jesus was on the cross, the thing that disturbed him the most was what? Not the pain of the crucifixion. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The loss of relationship between God the Father, God the Son. Why? Because there's infinite wisdom. No one would have known each other more deeply than the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The, the unity and the diversity within the Trinity. The depth of love, the depth of wisdom, the depth of knowledge. And yet Jesus says, why have you forsaken me? That is for you. That you would know that God was willing to give up his own son so he does not lose you. How aggressive will God be to pursue you and find you so aggressive that he will leave the one to seek all of humanity. Do you know how valuable you are to God? He knew you before you were born. Nobody knows you like God because he's known you the longest. Before you were even in your mother's womb, and even when you're in your mother's womb, he's forming and shaping you. Nobody knows you like God because his wisdom is infinite about you. Which means, how great of an effort do you think God's going to make to get you? Now, this, this is going to, I think, this is going to be catalytic in many of your minds. Let's think about this for a moment. According to the parable, it's so rich, and it's why it's one of the most popular ones. Two questions emerge. How desperate is God in his search for you? Now, for those of you who are parents and your children have walked away from God, let's ask it from that perspective because that's going to resonate more with you. How desperate is God for your children? 
Let me tell you how desperate. He is so desperate to find your kids and to turn their hearts back to him that he is willing to move in such a way in their lives that they're eating the pods of the pigs if that's what it takes for them to come to the end of themselves and turn their hearts toward home. And he will do the same to you. If to get you to come home, he's got to strip everything from you so that you've come to the end of yourself. I'm telling you, he loves you so much, he'll do it. Better to suffer for a season than all eternity. And so when you walk away and live in a distant land from the Father, I'm telling you, you may be eating the pod from the pig. The only difference is we won't be celebrating. We won't be singing a song. It may not be physically. You may still make money. You may still have a job. But down deep inside, the only thing worse than a physical pod is a spiritual one. When there's an emptiness and a depression and an anxiety in you because you are distant from God and you've been lying to yourself for so long, God loves you so much. He loves you so much that he will strip you of everything until finally it dawns on you that everything is temporary and the only thing that matters is an eternal relationship with him. The second question is, how intense is the celebration when you finally come home? He'll bring the best robe and put it on you. Let them see the dress of a king. He'll put a ring on your finger. You'll be his, a sign of authority. Sandals on your feet. You're not a slave to sin and death anymore. You're alive to righteousness and life. Here's what gets me, and here's the point, and this is the end. When the son turns, the father runs out to protect him, from the rest of the people in the community and to say to the community, wait, he has turned his heart toward home. We're going to receive him no matter what he's done, where he's been, no matter what he said before. No kazaza here. Put the clay pots away. He is accepted fully as a son or a daughter with all the rights and privileges thereof. As soon as you turn your heart, you're in. And he says, kill the fatted calf. Man, I'm telling you, that would have been a big thing back then. In India, they don't have beef. Did you know that? You can't eat beef. It's against the law to eat beef. Even at McDonald's, there's no beef. I went. No beef. It's all veggie sandwiches and chicken, but it's not beef. Cows roam freely right in the middle of the road. You have to go around them. If you strike a child, you'll be out of prison in 30 days. If you kill a cow, you'll be out in five years. No beef. Man, when I got back, I had a Wendy's triple cheeseburger. I can't tell you how good that was. Just the grease dripping everywhere. The Bible says when you come back, we're, gonna, we're not going to say, wait a minute. Hold on a second. You think you can just walk back in here? I don't think so. In the parable, Jesus is saying, put away your jars, man. Some of you are official jar-carrying people. Knock it off, man. Knock it off. And my question to everybody in the room is, who is at the bottle of your spiritual barrel? If they walked in here, you'd get the jar out. And you say, you know, Pastor Jeff, I'm a forgiven kind of Christian, but that's just gone too far. They can't come back in here. This is a sacred place. Then what are you doing here? Some of you are here and you're looking for a new church and you're looking for the perfect church. It's not here. And if it is here, don't come because you'll ruin it. <laughs> yes, we're trying our best, aren't we? We're trying to live. 
We know the Spirit of God is in us and we're marching toward heaven and we're trying to be righteous and pure people, but we know we fail. And so when somebody comes in that doesn't look like us, talk like us, what would you do if somebody came in a church service, sat right down beside you, and you were talking to them during the greeting time and they used bad language? What would you do? Some of you carry little ones around. You got like gazillions of them. And I'm saying to those of you in the room that get this, I'm begging, those of you who have the gift of grace and mercy and know that none of us deserve to be here, but we are, I'm asking you to be on the lookout at all times on every weekend for people who you're afraid might be shunned and run to them before the rest of us get to them. And embrace them and take them in. You say, well, Pastor Jeff, I don't know if I can go this far with you. I've been with you so far, but really? Really? Yeah. You say, well, Pastor Jeff, if, if that kind of person, look, I can, I can receive most people, but if that type of person comes in here and they come in, I got to tell you, I might have to leave the church and I'll put my arm around you and I'll say, I understand completely. Now repent. <laughs> repent. We say that evangelism is our core value, that Jesus is our only hope, and we are his plan to reach those far from God one life at a time, and there is no plan B. We really actually believe that. One of our core values is celebration. We celebrate loud, hard, and often. There's nothing more fun than serving God with the people that we love. Help me, please. You know, my heart is for those who are far from God, and you know that I know that we're better than no one else, and that... The church is the road back to the Father. If they make it this far in those doors, my goodness, then you be the first to embrace them and hug them and tell them that you love them. It is not your job to make them behave. It's your job to receive them and allow the Spirit of God to open their eyes to the truth of the gospel and then transform them from the inside out. Right? No more kazaza. I hate kazaza. Kazaza's from the devil. It's not from God. But some of you are going to need some help. And so I'll close the official close with this, all right? Some of you are going to need some help. I am totally fascinated with Corrie Ten Boom. I always have been. I try to read everything, and it's hard to get some of her writings, but she was a remarkable woman. For those of you who are young and you don't know who that is, Corrie Ten Boom and her sister were in Raven's book uh, Concentration Camp during the uh, Holocaust. They suffered immensely at the hands of a, a particular guard who would rape them, strip them, belittle them. There were awful, horrific experiments performed on people. Uh, Corey Tim Boom saw her own sister brutally beaten by this guard. And in her book, The Hiding Place, after the war, Corey Tim Boom spent her life traveling throughout Germany preaching the message of forgiveness. She's famous for her quote, that uh, no, no pain is so deep that God's love is not deeper still. But she writes on the final two pages of her book called The Hiding Place that after one of her messages that she noticed coming down the aisle was a man that looked familiar. And it was the guard from Ravensbrook. And he walked up to her and he put out his hand and he said, do I get this forgiveness too? And she writes these words. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. 
And so again, I breathed the silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder along my arm and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him. While into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our own goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his, God's. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives, along with the command, the love itself. Please, help me. Some of you are going to need a movement of the Spirit of God to help you lift your hand when your ex-husband comes in here. When somebody that doesn't behave morally like you think they should, somebody that doesn't look like you, somebody that doesn't talk like you, somebody that doesn't agree with your political persuasion. How on earth can we ever expect the Spirit of God to transform someone from the inside out when they can't get from the outside in? Help me and value this. Do three things. Value it. Let's tell stories about it when it happens, and let's fight for it. Now, quickly, some of you in the room, your biggest problem is not that the community is going to come after you and go kazaza. You're not worried about other people smashing clay pots. You're smashing enough clay pots over your own head. You live with a constant sense of guilt because you still don't get the gospel, that you're saved by grace through faith. There's a difference between guilt and conviction. Guilt is when you're guilty. Conviction is when the Spirit convicts you, okay, you blew it, now get back up the next day, and the Bible says His mercies are new every day. Stop, stop smacking your head with clay jars. No more kazaza for you. No soup for you. No kazaza. And help me value it. Let's tell stories about it, and help me fight for this. Because this is hard for churches. Let's help me Fight for this where it becomes part of our DNA, okay? It's like, that, it's like that monkey with the gun and the caption reads, I'm gonna fight like the third monkey on the ramp to Noah's Ark. You got it? I'm gonna fight like the third monkey on the ramp to Noah's Ark. And then it says, and brother, it's beginning to rain. Help me fight for this DNA, okay? So if you see something and you see someone that looks like they're not well, go to them, run to them, man. That's being Christ. And if you see someone that's not behaving well towards someone like that, you go remind them to put away their jars. Put away your jar. You with me? Father, thank you. And I praise you for the powerful passage of the prodigal son. May we never be a people who glory in Kazaza, who somehow think that it is a good thing to smash the clay pots and to say to people, you've disintegrated us, we disintegrate you. You shamed us, we shame you. But instead, as soon as they turn their hearts toward home, I pray that our church would be the road on the path that leads them to God and that we would never judge them to such a degree that we would deny anyone entrance into your kingdom. That's not our call. Instead, I pray that we would reach out with open arms and love and depend on the Spirit of God to open our eyes to the gospel and then to transform us from the inside out. I pray that my words would not be misunderstood. There are some things not appropriate. There are some things not appropriate in church. There are just some things not appropriate, the way we behave. But we know that when people come from the outside in, 
There's no written code or rules. They're not aware of what's appropriate and what's not. They're seeking, they're searching. Help us to have the kind of grace that understands that and receives them in and shares the good news of the gospel. The Spirit of God would open their eyes and transform them as he has us. Help us, God, to worry more about ourselves than others, that we may seek a life of purity and righteousness. In Christ's name, You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you listen to podcasts. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.